Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! The month of December is upon us. The football regular season is over. And wh- where to begin with this Syracuse men's basketball team? Hello and welcome into another edition of Fizz 5 alongside the wonderful Ethan Frank. I'm Liam Griffin. Pleasure to have you with us here. And Ethan, my friend, well, it's kind of hard to put into words just the hecticness of what is going on on the Hill right now. There's plenty to unpack. Uh, a lot to unpack, Liam. Uh, you know, last uh, Tuesday night's game was uh, not pretty, to uh, to say the least. Um, it was one of the worst games I think I've ever seen. Um, okay, that may be a bit of an exaggeration, but it was pretty bad. Um, and there's a lot to discuss about it. But, uh, you know, yeah, football got a win against BC. I wasn't too encouraged by it, but uh, just not a lot of positivity except for on the pitch right now. There's plenty to discuss indeed, so let's not sugarcoat any of it and get right into topic number one. Number one. Syracuse men's basketball is three and four after it lost to Illinois 73 to 44 on Tuesday night. The Orange were in it for a while there against the 16th ranked Illini. They were only down seven at the half. Their defense looked okay on paper, but Ethan, I think. This game was a product of, or at least the first half, was a product of Illinois just missing open shots. It, it should not have been close at halftime. No, it, I, you're right on that. And it, the main problem that I am dissecting right now with what I saw last night is 11 guys played in the first half. That like, why? Can we get some clarity on this rotation? I understand that Jim Beheim is just trying to throw anything at the wall and seeing what works. But, like, playing Quadier Copeland for two minutes and playing Malik Brown for three minutes is not going to help anything. It's just these guys, if you're going to play them, play them six, seven, eight minutes to actually get in a rhythm and develop some chemistry. Because when you play them for that short a time, as soon as they do something either good or bad, you either want to build on it or eliminate it. And, and that can't happen when you're in for such a short period of time. It's funny you mentioned that, Ethan, because I wrote an art article on it just a few short hours ago, and you can check it out on theorangefizz.com along with all of our other content. The rotations this whole season have been a mystery, Ethan. You have Justin Taylor not play at all against St. John's, and then he proceeds to drop 25 the next game against Bryant. Quadier Copeland doesn't play against Richmond, somehow sees the floor against St. John's. It makes no sense, and that has no, been the it story. makes no sense. The story of the season is not making any sense. Jim Beheim comes in, says this is the best recruiting class we've ever had, and you're under 500 entering December. Ethan, do you remember a time where hope has been lost this early into the season? Yeah, last year. Fan. Last year. Oh, oh, come on! They beat Indiana on the last day of November. Okay, they still lost to Colgate and got absolutely demolished in Atlantis before that. Okay, okay. But the point I'm trying to make here is Beheim hyped up this team so much, and it's not living up to expectations. Well, that's his fault. Like, that's his fault. I'm I'm not denying that. But at the same time, if you can't walk the walk, you have, or if you can't 
if you're going to talk the talk, you can't walk the walk. You get what I'm trying to say? I get what you're trying to say, and and you're right. He's not walking the walk. That's what I wrote about uh, Wednesday morning on theorangefizz.com. Like you mentioned, that the end is near for Jim Beheim, and it is going worse than he probably could have ever Ooh. imagined. I mean, I understand you wanted to stick around for this recruiting class, and that's how you got these guys, by promising you would coach them. But right now, Syracuse still does not have anybody committed to this program beyond this season. And that is because other teams are using Beheim's age and his pending retirement against him. Um, I, I have a working theory as to what is going to happen, um, but it, it, this is going to end ugly and it's only yeah. going to get worse because this team is going to continue to struggle because there is no offense. This team does not play offense. They just play Judah, go do something or Jesse, go do something or pick and roll. And if none of that works, it's, Okay, Benny, take this contested jump shot. Okay, Justin, try to do something. And and Joe is – I don't even want to get started on Joe because he doesn't deserve to be playing right now. No, he doesn't. Ever since the Richmond game, he's been a shell of himself, and that's being a little generous. Nine points over the last three games. And, Ethan, it feels like every single shot he takes is a contested pull-up, three-pointer, or even worse, a long two. That isn't good basketball. And before we wrap this topic up, I want to – Briefly look ahead to what is ahead. SU has at Notre Dame coming up this Saturday. Then you've got, as our colleague from another outlet says, the little sisters of the poor for the rest of the for the rest of non-conference play. Oakland, Georgetown, Monmouth, and Cornell, or at least seemingly the little sisters of the poor. But home ECC play, yeah, yeah, you got Pittsburgh and Boston College to start at home. But after that, Ethan, I see a hard time finding any lockdown wins well you got louisville i mean louisville okay. hasn't won a game so you're right you're right, you're right. <laughs> if they can't beat louisville then that is an issue but <laughs> but yeah i mean am i confident in this notre dame game absolutely not, not um am i confident in in the next few games i would say slightly it's it'll be good to finally have some consistency playing four straight games i believe it is at home and all against, you know, mid-major teams. So finally, maybe that will start to develop a rhythm. We'll see. I don't know. I think that could be a positive. It's going to be a fascinating showdown in Notre Dame this weekend because that's a team that stretches the floor really well and also has a really good big in Nate Lashetsky. So we will see how things go on that front. Now, on to a more violent, per se, topic number two. Number two. Mike Tyson wasn't walking through the door of the JMA Wireless Dome on Saturday, but it felt like it. Judah Mintz and Doug Etter, along with two other Bryant bench players, were tossed after a scuffle broke out at the under eight media timeout of the first half. Assistant coaches Alan Griffin and Adrian Altry were also ejected. And if that wasn't spicy enough, Ethan, later that night in Chestnut Hill in the football game, Enrique Cruz got ejected for taking a swing at a BC offensive lineman. There was a scuffle at halftime. Then after the game, a combo of Devon Cooper, Demarcus Adams, and a few others tried to plant in Syracuse flag at midfield for Boston College, and all heck broke loose. An embarrassing yeah, I, killing of a day. Embarrassing. I, un unacceptable. I mean, I understand what j was going on with Judah. They were being really physical with him and, and really, like, trying to mess with him, and, and that's what happened. I don't understand why there wasn't any punishment for the player who was on the ground who took the charge who tried to trip him. 
um, for this slap on Eddard occurred. But first of all, that was an atrocious call, uh, that charge call. And mm-hmm. that builds into the frustration because I, I, I think the officials were playing into the game way more than they needed to. Uh, but it was obviously two teams that didn't like each other based on what had happened two years ago. So understandably something was going to happen. I don't think anybody thought something to that extent would happen, but you know, it is what it is and it's a learning experience and props to Judah for speaking to the media after the game. Absolutely. Football. I mean, this is what you expect from an undisciplined, a team that has committed the most penalties in the entire country this season. That's what you expect because Dino Babers has no accountability over his players. The amount of personal foul calls, the amount of unsportsmanlike conducts, just the amount of silly plays. What do you, what do you think you are Michigan planning your flag at Ohio state? This is a three win Boston college team. Who cares? Who cares? It's absolutely befuddling to me that this is the point Syracuse football has come to. You're 6-0 at the start of the season, and now you finally get a win in the last game of the season, and you're celebrating it like hooligans. Ethan, it's it's unacceptable. And Enrique Cruz taking a swing at, I believe it was Eziruaku, the D-lineman for Boston College, that's also unacceptable. And like you said, Syracuse was the most undisciplined team in the FBS this year, in no small part thanks to Silly penalties, uh, penalties, false starts, offsides. The Elijah Fuentes hit, hit in the Clemson game that really turned the tide of the season. I think that, sure, John Wildhack made an appearance on ESPN Syracuse, but his not releasing a public statement, or at least the department not releasing a public statement, condoning what happened in both of these games, your two big money programs, neither of which have been trending in the right direction lately. It's a bad look for the institution as a whole. Absolutely. And that is 100% the truth. A lot of people were calling for wild hack to release a statement and, and, and that didn't really come to fruition, which I mean, that's kind of par for the course with, with this athletic department, just the lack of transparency we get from the football team, Dino Babers being the only person that speaks uh, on a regular basis, aside from the players. Um, so so that is kind of par for the course. And, and it's what you expect because that's what you get on a regular basis. And and that is upsetting. And I think, I think the whole stigma behind the athletics department stems back to last summer when our own John Eads reported on the lack of nutrition available to these players. That alone is unacceptable, but this has created more moral issues within the department sure a lack of resources is troubling enough but this is a whole nother ball game ethan and i think yeah, they're yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's just a snowball and once this team started to, lost one game i knew it was going to only get worse from there because they were punching so far above their their weight that as soon as some something went wrong, it was going to continue to go wrong because that's the type of team. They escaped against Purdue. They escaped against Virginia. And NC State was playing with a backup quarterback. So those are three wins that, you know, obviously you have to get lucky and Syracuse did. But, oh, yeah. you know, Jeff Brom gave Syracuse that win against Purdue. There, there's absolutely. no way about absolutely. absolutely. Virginia, you played bad enough to lose. And, and luckily – you know, that was, that's a team that was in. As you got bailed out by a rough in the passer call. Absolutely right. And, and then NC state, Devin Leary plays in that game. I'm taking, I'm taking the Wolfpack. I understand the momentum, the undefeated season, the sellout crowd, but 
you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. And hindsight is twenty twenty, but we should have realized earlier that this team was not much better than last year. Hindsight is indeed twenty twenty, and that's a good transition into topic number three. Number three. Syracuse football finishes the regular season seven and five. Ethan, let's not sugarcoat it. Plain and simple, was the season a success? Yes, it was a success because you won seven games. Um, but it, it's I like to focus on the process over the results. If you want to be a results-based person, seven and five, yes, that's a success. But the process to get to seven and five, no, that's a failure. Absolutely, one hundred percent. The last five, the last six games really showed me that Dino Babers still should not be the coach of this football team. He has not recruited well enough to be in the ACC. He has not, you know, coached well enough from a just a being a leader. You know, if you if this team wants to show, okay, we're here to make noise in the ACC. We're six and zero. Okay, you know what you don't do? You don't get personal foul penalties. You don't try to plant flags uh, in a fake rivalry. You don't try. You don't punch players. I mean, that's just not what happens. And it's just a lack of leadership. And that's what it is. It's a lack of discipline. It's been a theme for Dino Babers' entire tenure at Syracuse. False starts, illegal formations, offsides. That comes down to coaching in practice and getting your players ready to play. And that is not the case. I like that term, fake rivalry, when describing SUBC. And I absolutely understand what you're saying because several outlets as of right now have Syracuse as the worst of the worst when it comes to recruits in the ACC, at least for the class of 2023. That's unacceptable if you want a sustainable program. And we can talk about Yeah, it's Adam unacceptable, White but are you surprised? Not, not at all. And we can talk about Adam Weitzman's money deals late, at a later date, but nothing has come to show for it as of right now. And I think your philosophy of the process is an interesting one because if you told me before the season – SU was going to start 6-0. and I remember talking to you about this before the season started. If you told me they were going to start the season 6-0, and or seven, end the season 7-5, and sorry, I would be absolutely elated. Not many people had this team going bowling. But to win six in a row and lose five in a row, especially when you consider the manner with which they lost some of these games, it's borderline unacceptable. I think, let's look at, look at the pick game, for example. A winnable game, you're playing a mediocre Panthers team. Your offensive line doesn't do jack. I know Garrett Schrader not playing didn't exactly help the cause, but you let Pitt's run offense eat you alive and they didn't even have their starter. I look at a game like that and think to myself, yeah, Dino Babers is not fit to be coaching this team right now because, yeah, you went 7-5. and Whoop-de-doo, I'm going to play the world's smallest violin because at this point I couldn't care less given how you finish the season. Absolutely right. Because when you start three, four, five, six, and oh, then that just continues to raise your expectations. And the expectations went, oh, I just want this team to win six games and make a bowl game too. Oh, this team could win nine or 10 games and, and be a, in a real bowl game. Um, this team can compete with real teams like they showed against Clemson in the first half. So that just clouds your judgment. And once those expectations start to be raised and then you start losing, it's like, why are they losing? They should have lost all those games. And, and I, I think seven and five, six and six is is probably where this team deserved to, to end up. But once you set those expectations higher, it's, you know, we should be winning all of these games. And that's what happens when you start so well. This team would never deserve to be more than a six or seven win team. 
but because of the start, then you think, oh, maybe they're a nine or 10 win team. So it, it, that's what happens when you start so well and raise people's expectations. Is it, isn't it wild to think at one point in time, this Syracuse football team was the 14th ranked team in the country. And that now the bottom, wild. and now the bottom has fallen out on it for the worst. We'll touch on where the SU football team is going later in a minute, but Let's get into a more holly and jelly topic for topic number four. Number four. How about Syracuse men's soccer, Ethan? We don't normally touch on them here on the Fizz Five. But when you go to the Elite Eight and you're the high-seeded team remaining in the NCAA tournament, you deserve some recognition. The Orange took down Cornell one to nothing on Sunday to move past the round of 16 into the quarterfinals, where they will host the Catamounts of Vermont. Saturday at 2 p.m., almost immediately after men's basketball will lose to Notre Dame. Ethan, Ian McIntyre's squad is making some headway. Yeah, soccer is all the rage right now, or, or football, as should I say, because you got Syracuse, you hear Syracuse men's soccer is playing well. The World Cup is going on. Who doesn't love the World Cup? I mean, so much fun, unless you're rooting for the USA and, and they're, you know, parking the bus for 30 minutes at the end of a game yeah, we'll, against Iran. Hey, we'll, um, see things, we'll see how things go against the Netherlands. Saturday. We will, but... But when you look at the Syracuse men's soccer, it's, I mean, it's just a nice, pleasant surprise because when you think about the soccer team, they hadn't had the greatest of years the past few seasons. And to come out this season and be ranked so highly and to win so many games, it's a testament to coaching. It's a testament to player development. And it's what you want to see from all of Syracuse's programs, uh, namely the big name ones like, you know, basketball and football, which are not doing that right now. Um, so maybe the men's soccer team can be a model for success around, around the athletic department. Absolutely, and I want to touch on just how remarkable their postseason run has been. To win the ACC championship, they had to beat UVA, one of just two teams that beat them this year. They're done for in the NCAA tournament, by the way. And then you have to play Cornell in the round of 16, the other team that beat you this year, and you go and take care of business too. And now you have to play a Vermont team that you tied with all the way back on September 2nd, which... Ethan, feels like an eternity ago. That was the day before. Don't let the cats get hot, Liam. Do not let the cats get hot. That was the day before the Louisville game, if you want to put it into perspective. How long it has been since the Orange and Catamounts? Before Labor Day. Yep, since they renewed acquaintances. It's, I think the factor that they have played each other before makes things a little more interesting. But three months is a long time. You and I should know, because that's how Syracuse football's season shifted so quickly. Yeah, I... I mean, I don't see how you can't be pulling for this team. It's such a nice feel-good story that th there's nothing to root against. Ian McIntyre has been on the job for over a decade at this point. And, and you know, they had one run in the mid-2010s. But, you know, to get on – not on top of the mountain, but to get, you know, somewhat climb the mountain the first time is hard. But really to have to tear it down and then build it back up is even harder. Absolutely. Sometimes winning the second is even harder than winning the first. And that's what Syracuse has done this season. And that's what makes it all the more impressive. I'm a firm believer that winning the second is substantially harder than winning the first. And you've seen Ian McIntyre on Twitter. He is one happy-go-lucky fella. I think a certain men's basketball coach should take some notes and perhaps mimic that a little bit. So, it, you know, like you said, Ethan, it's a feel-good story for SU Athletics in a time where we don't really have a lot to cheer about. All right. They play Vermont Saturday at 2 p.m. at SU Soccer Stadium. Should be a fun one. But let's wrap things up with topic number five. 
number five. On Sunday night, our own Ian Unsworth published an article about where SU might go bowling, and many major outlets, including CBS Sports, 24-7, ESPN, had SU taking the four-and-a-half-hour trek down I-90 to Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts for the Fenway Bowl. Doesn't look like that's happening anymore because of academic rules. It The game would be the day after finals end here at SU. And as such, the university is requesting to not be placed there. As a Red Sox fan, I'm a little disappointed. But putting that to the side, Ethan, where might you want to see this team play in December? In a perfect world, the pinstripe bowl, you'll have the most fan support there. It's a, play, a bowl game you've won before, obviously not under papers, but it's a bowl you've won before. And it's just a very cool environment. I've attended a pinstripe bowl um, where Syracuse played. It was very cool. It was snowing. It was very fun. Um, and it'll be a good game because you'll be playing a Big Ten team, uh, not, you know, an AAC team. And, you know, don't call me an AAC hater, but I'd rather play a Big Ten team than an AAC team. I don't think that's that hot of a take. I don't disagree with you there. I mean, I'd also love to see the pinstripe ball because, like you said, you could get more fan support as opposed to a Gasparilla or a Birmingham where you'd have to travel down south to Tampa or Alabama. Yeah, like, and, I mean, Birmingham has to be the least appealing bowl. Absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, Gasparilla... Gasparilla, I mean, at least you can go to Florida in December, get some nice weather. That that would be nice. That, the, the only thing that has me worried about Gasparilla is willingness of fans to travel because it is on December 23rd, two days before a major holiday that a lot of Americans celebrate. Has me a little worried, but... I yeah, Birmingham is definitely the least desirable out of the ones we've mentioned. But if we're throwing Fenway out of the water, location and time and opponent, it's got to be the Pinstripe Bowl, right? You're playing at Yankee Stadium, one of the most historic ballparks this land has to offer. You're going up against the well, big the new Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium too. Still, still very historic. Uh, you're playing a Big Ten school. It's in New York City. Easy drive for me, just out of interest. I, that's definitely, if not Fenway, which it looks like more likely than not won't happen. That would be which is a shame. It's a it's a major shame. It is a shame. Um, but you know it is what it is. You can't really control it. We'll find out. I think on Sunday. Yeah, we find out uh, Sunday. Uh, college football, the college football playoffs final rankings get released. I want to say at noon. Yep. On Sunday, and bowl games get released shortly after that. So. We will see where the wind takes us on that front. Ethan, my friend, any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode of Fizz 5? I just want to see some heart from the basketball team against Notre Dame. Can't lose by 20-plus. No, you Can't lose by 15-plus. I will say this rivalry, for the lack of a better term, has a history of close games. So hopefully we've got that in our favor heading to South Bend. But I I just don't know. We'll see. I I can't take this team anymore. That does it for another edition of Fizz 5. With Ethan Frank, I'm Liam Griffin. Thank you so much for taking your listen. And go. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.